Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's time for seminal headlines featuring Warchant.com's Jeff Cameron, managing editor Ira Chofel, and senior writer Corey Clark. Your weekly dose of all things FSU, pistols and pies starts right now. Here's Jeff Cameron. The seminal headlines, 93.3 Real Talk Radio and Warchant TV. Thanks so much for joining us. As always, it's not... It's it's the second straight week that something abnormal is underway here with similar headlines, but not lesser. It's not lesser. It's just different, just different. The great Tom Wang filling in, as Corey noted, on Facebook for Ira Chaffel, who is in Amelia Island, at Amelia Island, I guess trying to find out if the ACC has any fighting chance whatsoever to give their member institutions uh, an opportunity to win in big-time college football. But... We are here to discuss, of course, and next hour, headliner questions. You see, Corey, I'm Jeff. There is Tom Lang, and this brought to you by our friends at Register Sausage. Yay, sausage! Now, Tom Corey, Lang. if you'd like to play the role of Ira, you could go ahead and do so. I thought Tom Lang should. We've extolled the virtues of Register Sausage for, for, for a long time. We want a newcomer to come in. And tell them, tell everybody what they think of Register Sausage. Well, Corey knows how I was introduced to Register Sausage because he brought some over for a football Sunday last mm-hmm. fall. Well, actually, it's probably two falls ago at this point, but uh, super delicious. Whether it's the andouille or just the spicy sausage, which I enjoy, as long as it's, some people like it filled with cheese and jalapenos and stuff, you just give me the meat, mm. and I'm gonna enjoy the sausage. That's how it works. He doesn't need the filler. He just no, wants the no, sausage. He just wants the straight meat. <laughs> <laughs> registersmeats.com right isn't that the website registersmeats.com yeah tom always yeah, yeah. does our, our uh ira always does that uh part so i i feel like registersmeats.com is the way to go there hey you know right from the beginning here i want to i want to establish something i think moving forward as a group all of us uh working for warchant.com we're gonna have to be aware of the tone regarding conversations surrounding the acc i get a sense of bemoaning uh, perhaps uh, a great lament and maybe even bleeding over into whining. So we're going to have to, at some point, we're going to have to pivot from whining about the plight of the ACC and thus Florida State and maybe think about, I don't know that we have solutions at this point, but of another way of presenting it. Because day in and day out this summer, what are we going to do? Just constantly come on and say, boy, it sure sucks to be in this conference. It does. It, it sucks to be in this conference. What are you going to do about it? we got to figure out a different way to talk about it. But not bemoan or whine. You don't yes. want us to do that. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. that'll be that'll be tough to do, but we'll try. I feel like before we get into that, though, Jeff, we should address last week. How, how did you think it went uh, with Tom filling in? 
Swimmingly, Corey. Uh, we really didn't notice any sort of difference whatsoever. <laughs> I thought everything. <laughs> I figured. Uh, I'd like to not not apologizing for you guys getting Tom Lang because I'm sure I didn't watch it. It was probably going to be too painful. You know what I mean? It's like I, it was going to be too painful to watch or listen to listen to that because I didn't want it to be great. Um, but uh, I'd like to apologize to the listeners for not being able to be there last week. Um, I decided to. Uh, did I tell you what happened to my stomach, Jeff? Did so I- so let me fill everybody in. I feel like between wake up war chant. Your appearances, obviously, every week with seminal headlines. And then over the years, just general conversation. Our audience is very well aware that you have a stomach uh, fitting of uh, a temperamental child. or right. so, I don't know how you'd like to say it, you know, like, uh, somebody with cholera. I, I don't know. But right. but you have, uh, you have a dysentery. horrific... Uh, dysentery. Yeah, yeah, dysentery. You have a, a horrible, horrible set of circumstances that have befell you, unfortunately, uh, regarding your stomach, um, your, your gastrointestinal tract, however you want to say it. Mm. And, and, and here, here, all jokes aside, we have all grown concerned over the years because it feels as if, Corey, correct me if I'm wrong, it's kind of gotten progressively worse, partner, and nothing seems to be working. And now you're not drinking beer. You're not drinking soda. You're working out five days a week, three hours a day. Right. You're going to bed on time for the first time in your life. You're doing everything, everything that you should be doing. And then last week, you tell us three hours before the show, fellas, I got a stomach ache. I'm locked up in the bathroom. I don't think I'm going to be able to go. Well, What's the, what gives? Well, here's the thing. I think it, there might be a correlation here. I have been watching my diet, and I haven't been drinking, uh, haven't been drinking uh, uh, soda. Um, but last week, I'm watching the finale of Ozark. I've got probably a half a bag left of chili cheese Fritos. And I'm not talking about the vending machine. I'm talking about a family-sized pack of chili cheese Fritos. And I decide, you know what? I don't want that in my house anymore. So I'm just going to eat them all tonight and get it over with and get it done with. So I literally ate, I don't know what that'd be, 140 corn chips, 200 corn. I, I, I didn't count them. It's got to be a ton. But I ate half a bag of Fritos. Basically, I ate a whole bag in about a 24, 28-hour span. And I think that might have had something to do with, with ratcheting up the stomach pain. That, that's my theory. I, I'm not a doctor, that's not, but that's my theory. Well, the doctors have yet to solve for your situation. So, you know, your theory is as good as theirs, apparently. But right. I, would also, I would also say that uh, I like that you just decided – this is the weekend. This is the time. This moment right here, right now. Ozark, I'm taking these chips out. That's yeah, it. We're, it's yeah. going down that path. I've been so good for three months. I'm like, you know what? This is my cheat day, and I'm going to cheat. I'm going to be a serious. This is going to be crazy. It's going to be like Tiger Woods cheating. I'm, I'm, I'm diving into a whole bag of Fritos headlong, um, and I paid the price. But I've been good ever since, and I'm going to get an ultrasound when I get back, see if we can figure out exactly what this is. Might be a gallbladder issue. Or it might just be what they think it is, which is just heavy inflammation because of the acid reflux. But either way, that's enough about that. Let's get back to the let's get back to a a, a, a better topic: the ACC and football. Well, okay. So I I will say this: our own Irish Chappelle is over at Amelia Island, as noted, and he'll be reporting this week for the ACC meetings. Other conferences, other Power Five conferences, are getting started or have concluded uh, their meetings, and uh, and of course, whenever that happens, a lot of things arise, uh, topics that are worth discussing, such as uh, scheduling, uh, divisional realignment, and and or absolving uh, or absolving d- uh, divisions altogether, um, and and perhaps that happens. I don't know. I think I think we would like that. I think the three of us are in favor of that, right? Do we don't need the divisions? Correct. 
Yeah, that's uh, it's an easy call given that FSU and Georgia Tech play once. I mean, I know the COVID year there was an exception, but is it every seven years is in the current rotation? It's something crazy like that. They play once in Tallahassee every decade, and the same thing the other way for FSU up in Atlanta. So if you're able to get a little bit more regionality, uh, and I think Corey pointed out yesterday in the video we did on Warchan TV, it cuts down on some costs as well. Gene did as well. That cuts down some costs for travel. I mean, it would be nice to play the only team in the conference that's within a five-hour drive more than once every seven years. I think that would be pretty good. So, uh, yeah, dissolve those divisions and, and make it all happen. But also, I think, I think uh, yeah. something we didn't talk about on the on the video we did uh, on Monday was that, you know, how great would it have been if Florida State played Clemson in 2013? Again, think of the numbers that would have done instead of Duke. Now, I know it was fun to play Duke and, and Dead Fish Handshake, but – and then, like, Louisville and Clemson, the Lamar Jackson year, get a rematch in the ACC championship game instead of Clemson going and pummeling whoever they pummeled uh, that year. I, I think I think that stuff will matter, too. You get better. You get the two best teams in the ACC playing in the championship game, which should increase the TV revenue and should increase the, uh, the watchability of that game because it's not going to be, hopefully, one of these years, Florida State playing a horrible team from the Coastal or an average team from the Coastal. It'll be playing the second-best team in the conference. And Clemson gets has to play the second best team in the conference. That rarely I, works out in the ACC. I think, uh, as Ira pointed out, he spoke with our own Aslan uh, Hashabandi at uh, uh, on Warchant TV, which you can watch. That uh, Swafford used to tell us. I'm reading his quote here. Swafford used to tell us every year that there were no interests from the other universities in ever uh, rearranging the divisions or uh, dissolving them all together. And in the first year of John Phillips, yep. We may get rid of them all together. Mm. Yep. <laughs> Amazing how that switches. Just like that. Everybody has a difference of opinion all of a sudden. They suddenly all want to get rid of them, huh? Well, I think it's more palatable, too, when it, the playoff is expanding. Right now you've got four spots, and however long it's going to take, it's been really dysfunctional to get the expansion of the playoff. And I know the ACC is using that as its last bargaining chip to maybe get a better position and some more money. But if you've got a six or eight or 12-team playoff, whatever it becomes – then it's less crazy to have your best two teams play each other in a, in a conference championship right. setting. Uh, because I, I think, you know, probably the thought from a lot of conferences before when it was the BCS system was, well, you're costing we yourself a spot. Loss. Yeah. yeah, if it's an upset, you're costing yourself a spot. That's not necessarily the case anymore, especially if you have at-large teams on top of automatic bids, which I think is what we all agree that the playoff is going to do in the near future. Yeah, and I think it, it, it does seem obvious that Jim Phillips cares about uh, football. Like he he knows. I mean, he would be. You wouldn't have hired him if he didn't. Uh, but I yeah, I think this is a good first. This is his first year commissioner, right? Or his first year with Correct. yeah, right? His first yes. full year. Um, for for to have something like this to be able to change the divisions and just get rid of him in his first year, that's a good sign to me that he's actually willing to do some things. That he's not just gonna steer the ship straight into the. Well, we don't want to be negative. He's not going towards an iceberg, just a I don't know, just a trash bin or something out in the ocean. But uh, he's not gonna sink the ship. But I, I do think that, uh, that, that that is a good sign that he does care about football and he cares about he, – he's trying to have some foresight about what he can do with this conference to give it some legs and give it some life in the, uh, in the new era of college football. I wish we could all sit down and have a really honest conversation with him about what can and can't be done. I mean, I think it's evident that he cares deeply about football. He knows it's the thing he has to care about most for this conference to survive moving forward. He won't have a job as a commissioner of the ACC if it doesn't exist, and it won't exist if they don't find a way to even out some of the situations with the money uh, differences. And 
you know, he said it the day that he was announced as the new commissioner, that everybody has to reimagine uh, their football program and, and what football means to the ACC. That was him laying down the gauntlet. That was saying, I'm not John Swafford. I don't really care all that much about basketball. We've got to get football in working order. That's basically what he was saying. And, and, and I think a lot of people thought because of his ties – uh, not only with the Big Ten, uh, but Notre Dame, that there would be a way that maybe he could massage that situation and you could get Notre Dame in the conference. Well, that hasn't happened, and now he's going to have to really rely on those working relationships with the Big Ten and others to hope that somehow we can create a, a scenario by which the ACC is is viable. We, we look at the projections. Everybody can read those articles. In the last two years, there's been an article in the USA Today, the New York Times. I just read one yesterday uh, in the LA Times, and the, the desperation the Pac-12 feels. I mean, these these funds have been described as feeble by way of comparison to the SEC and the Big Ten, and that is exactly right. And all of the conferences that are not, or all the teams that are not a part of those two conferences are in desperate into sad shape. So that's where we're at. And, and I don't know what can be done. I think it's funny, too, this is a week where you're going to hear a lot about the NCAA saying that the enforcement wing or the enforcement arm of the NCAA is looking to do something about it. I'd push back on that because while we would all want that, Corey and Tom, the courts have already decided they really have no power in this situation, and they know it, and they don't want antitrust lawsuits, and they've already said as much there. And I don't think they're going to be capable of doing much about all of what we're seeing now, which in the eyes of many is the ruination of college football. I wonder, I was talking with somebody about this yesterday, a pretty pretty high-level booster about when, when who's going to be the first school to sue a player for breaking a contract. Because that will come. Florida State did not want to do it with good reason. They didn't want to be the 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 guinea pig in that experiment for some stuff that might have happened a while ago. Uh, um, but it will happen. One of these kids is going to sign a what two hundred fifty thousand two year deal with some um, one of these collectives at his school, and then just hit the transfer portal and go somewhere and say, "I dare you to sue me." Well, you can be sued. You know those contracts can be written where they say you can only. You can only get paid for work you do inside this county. They cannot be tied to the school, at least not in Florida. Um, they cannot be tied to playing for Florida State or playing for Georgia. But they can be tied to you have to do all of your work in Athens, Georgia. All your companies you work for have to be located within Clark County in Athens, Georgia. And when a kid decides he's going to transfer to Oklahoma, theoretically he's not allowed to break that contract and go get paid in Norman, Oklahoma, but he will because he doesn't think that that collective will sue him. Somebody's going to be the first one to sue a player for this. And that, that to me, it's got to come down to contracts. It's the only way it can work. I don't know how the NCAA can enforce. Um, you can't even really enforce that it's pay for play because you can say, no, we've lined up. We've lined up something for him where he's going he's gonna to do these seven commercials and he's going to get paid this. So I, I don't know what the enforcement would even be. Do you, do you guys even have an idea what it could be? No, I mean, you know, from the NCAA level or, or the sport level, I guess it could be a reduction of scholarships or roster spots. But I no, mean, I mean, but what do they? What law are they breaking? What 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 well, rule are they breaking that you enforce? That's what I'm I'm curious about. Well, I mean, it could be like a grant of rights on a personal level, like a, of your image and your likeness, kind of like what Florida State is tied into on the conference level for TV rights and TV dollars. If FSU left the conference, they could, but then they'd have to forfeit all of their TV money that they garnered to the ACC. That's the way the contract is written. So it could just be something where they sue and they say, 
all right, if you make money off of your image and your likeness somewhere else, well, the money is ours. You know, you have to return the money or, or there is some sort of penalty that way. It's just it seems like in the current structure of things, you can sign as many of those deals as you want to across however many markets. And then the money only comes in once you start doing something for the school that you're at. But you're right, Corey, like in the state of Florida, the collective would have to sue the player. But maybe in other states, the university itself could be the one to sue the player based on the local laws. Well, that's also part of the problem is that there isn't a unilateral rule that everybody is adhering to. Uh, states differ, universities differ, all of these things. The NCAA doesn't really seem to have uh, a leg to stand on in enforcement. I mean, I think they're posturing right now. They're talking a, a big game that they want to come in and they want to enforce existing rules uh, against inducements. But basically, people, university presidents and others, uh, which is the NCAA when we think about it, are saying, um, if you care to exist you have to find a way to enforce rules now that are unilaterally agreed upon. And I don't think that's going to happen, guys. Well, it's too bad. You know, just the way the, the people that are in charge of college football and what they're doing to the sport um, is, is really sad to me as somebody that grew up. This is my favorite sport. I've loved it my whole life. I grew up on it. I think we all did. Tom, you might be, I don't know if this is your, is your college football your favorite sport. You got hockey. You got the Mets. You're loving well, life. My my sister went here in the early '90s, so the first yeah, that's a good time to fall I in ever, love with football. Yeah, I mean, it was Florida State in 1992. I think was her first year on campus, maybe '91. But I mean, I grew up knowing this in a way that nobody else in my family did from the Northeast. So this is so in my. I just I just wish that there was more more people at the top that love seemingly love college sports like we love college sports because yeah. in college football in particular, because right now again when you just go back to the TV revenue. I know you guys are you guys are bigger NFL fans than I am by by a pretty substantial margin. But you wouldn't be if the NFC got two times the salary cap that the NFC NFC East got two times the salary cap that the NFC South did. You'd stop caring that too you wouldn't care that much about foot in the NFL anymore. And that's what's happening right now in college football. These two conferences are getting twice the money that everybody else gets. And you want them to they're competing for the same prize but they aren't. You're putting one it, – literally, it's like the NFC East and the AFC East getting all the money. Everybody else, good luck. You get a $100, you get $100 million salary cap. Those teams get a $200 million salary cap. Try to win with – try to beat them anyway. And that's what's going on in college football. Yeah, and I don't think we can rely on their benevolence. Nope. Uh, that, that, that's not going to happen. I, I don't wish think it would. You know, somebody from within the Big Ten or the SEC to say, you know, guys, this isn't really helpful to Syracuse. Right, you know, guys. This, I feel terrible for Oklahoma State. What What are we going to do? They're not yeah. going to do that. that that's it's not going to happen. Some of the headlines: ninety-three-three Real Talk Radio War Chant TV continues in a moment. Ho 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 horizons. It took bar and grill. It took all the strength I had not to interrupt you. Turn <laughs> off your mic and go home. Do you like how I closed my eyes when I sang? Too? Oh, believe me, that was the best part. <laughs> I didn't look at it. Thankfully, it was unbelievable. He looked like like Al Jarreau or something. <laughs> Luther Vandross. Well, he was making sure it was there. I want to apologize to Horizon Sports Bar and Grill. Uh, Their delicious food uh, should not be overlooked by Corey's singing. Man, that's a great jingle game. From the restaurant itself. Uh, But Horizons Bar and Grill is where, Ira? Bannerman Crossing. You're damn right it is. Tallahassee, off Thomasville Road and Bannerman Road. 
it's uh man, it's just it's incredible food, incredible people, incredible beers. It's spirits. where we are a lot. We're, hey, before a, the end of the group. week, fellas, uh, any week, like you could be listening to this six weeks from yeah. now. Let's let's all get together at Horizons Bar and Grill. We're there a lot. We really are. So if you want to see this in person, this trio, <laughs> never in mind person, the food. You get to see the three of us. But yeah, the food and the the drinks, the the patio, it's all good, man. It's all working. If it's you, all working. At and Horizons. if you sing the theme song, they'll give you some free food. I think. I think you get the bill is paid for if you sing the song, but with, you have to sing it like I do. And with, tell them Corey's thing with a bar tab. Yes, it's amazing. Correct. It's incredible. It, it it's just incredible. Keeps growing. They're yeah. so kind. Seminal headlines returns now. Head to YouTube and search for War Chant TV today to catch the show live or on demand. Now here's Jeff Cameron, Ira Chofel, and Corey Clark. Curiosity. Do you think that there? Because we're kind of talking about two different things here. The original premise of NIL was something the three of us agree with. I think that uh, most people, most fair-minded people around college football and love the game thought, yeah, it'll be a good thing for players to use their name, image, and likeness in order to make some money while playing football. Uh, it's turned into pay-for-play very quickly, and that's why we have these conversations times and time and again about well, what can be done, what can be done. Uh, I am curious. I saw yesterday a story in which Dan Murphy wrote for ESPN, the NCAA's Division I Board of Directors published new guidelines to clarify that boosters, including recently created companies designed to provide athletes at a particular school with endorsement deals, should not have any contact with prospective college athletes, their family members, or their representatives. And basically, these are guidelines that are crafted by a working group of athletic directors, conference commissioners, who are trying to figure out, they were tasked with the responsibility of figuring out earlier this year, along with the NCAA rules that are in place, uh, how, do we, how do we tackle the evolving marketplace for student-athletes? You think something does happen along those lines? Because they're different conversations. NIL, agreed-upon rules amongst athletic directors and university presidents across the board in the NCAA as opposed to what we're seeing now, which is a, a pay-for-play model. I, I think personally, yeah, I think they will adopt a rule like that. I think, you know, even Florida State fans, and we've talked to the Rising Spear guys a bunch, but, you know, they've talked openly about how they'll talk to recruits and their parents and tell them what they can't, they can't um, you know, give them anything to sign necessarily until they're, they're on campus or committed, but um, especially for the high school recruits. But they talk about how uh, they're in contact with, with recruits and parents about deals that might be awaiting them if they come to Florida State. And I feel like a lot of Florida State fans and just football fans in general, when they hear this about their own team, are like kind of icky about it. Like, oh, you're talking about these kids. You don't have – you know what I mean? That's just an icky kind of feeling about it. But the point the, – the counter to that is everybody else is doing it. You need to do it. And even if there is a rule in place saying, hey, you're not allowed to talk to these recruits and their parents until they're actually signed on camp, they're signed, their faxes are in, what's, is that really going to stop people? Not the fine folks at Rising Spear. They'll abide by the, the rules of, of, the, of the day. But I'm, I'm thinking most teams in the SEC will not care one iota about. They'll, they'll find a way. There'll be a middle ground, a middleman, to be able to still offer these things to these players during the recruiting process. Yeah, that's why I think this is just a tough bell to unring because the deterrent, I don't know that you can create one that's strong enough. Is it, you know, your conference payout from the TV networks that you get fined a percentage of? Is it roster spots? I mean, what what would it have to be to get the universities or the member institutions to actually abide by those rules? And so, like, even if you unionize players and let's say that you had slotting for player salaries within each team and, and 1 to 10 gets so much money and, and 11 to 20 and so forth down the list, 
Well, you could still, if that was the standardized payment structure for kids in a super conference or whatever vision for the future, if that's what exists, they could still make money with handshakes on the side from boosters. I, I don't know. Like you've legitimized and entered more people into the discussion and to the, the, the treasure chest of money for each university. People are less queasy about donating to Rising Spear than they were to a bag man three or four years ago. But I just don't know where the corruption or the under the table stuff would stop. Like what would need to happen? The penalties would have to be absurd in order for that to happen. Like they do in the NFL or the NBA with tampering. They give you fines that are crazy big and then you lose draft picks. I just don't yeah, know. Man, what and the, the NCAA still hasn't ruled on Kansas. From right. the Adidas thing from forever ago, the basketball team. It just it, who cares? They're not going to rule. And when they do, they do come up with a uh, uh, you know enforcement. It's seven years after the fact, and probably most of those coaches are gone from that school anyway. Hugh Freeze is the only one that I feel like got hammered at the school he was at, but that was because he was calling uh, prostitutes on his on his school phone. Like it, it just the NCA is toothless. I don't. I, I hope they can somehow get around, figure out a way to corral this. But I don't have any hope. I was going to ask you, Jeff and Tom, both. What What do the Bucks need most this year? Like what 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 could put them over the top to win the Super Bowl? Do you think? Where Where are they weakest at going into the season? Mm, Tom, you and I haven't talked about this yet. Uh, where we think they're weakest uh, going into the season? Uh, well, I will always say that you know a dominant offense, a dominant offensive line changes everything. So uh, they were able to replace a glaring need. You lose a Pro Bowler and you bring in a Pro Bowler uh, at guard. So I don't know if I would say offensive line tight end, Tom. They don't. I mean, if if Gronk doesn't come back, they really have nothing at that position. So what? Yeah, what, what I was gonna, this was my point. This isn't Buccaneer headlines. I was trying to make a larger point. I, I knew it, what your larger point was. I was going to take it and run with it. But okay, but go let's ahead. say Kelsey was a free agent, but the Bucks didn't have enough money under the cap to give him his four years, fifty-five million. But you guys were billionaires. Our our multi multi millionaire Bucks fans. Why wouldn't y'all give him his own NIL deal to come to Tampa Bay? He takes less money. He t he signs four years for twenty six million, which gets him under the cap, and then y'all give him an extra twenty million bump right. because you're fans of your team and you love your team. It's weird that that happens in college football, and it will continue and always happen in college football, but never happens in pro football. Like there's a lot of really rich fans of NFL teams that could entice free agents to be. Come on, we'll get we'll get you under the salary cap, but we'll pay sure. you out of my own pocket. Yeah, I, NFL I think, fans don't care as much, guys. That's what it, that's what it boils down to. Uh, well, it, it doesn't come from the fans' pockets, but I think that might happen in certain salary cap sports. Like, for example, if Brady signs for 25 mil, which he did, you know, the year that Jameis was available and all that, that was really low. That's what Philip Rivers signed for in, in Indianapolis. I mean, you're telling me that they're the same quarterback? I think in some instances – You think the owner, like, pays him out of his own pocket a little bit, under around the cap, goes around the cap, goes I think under the table and around the cap? If they've got friends in the industry, they might ensure that, you know, maybe Tom Brady's face is on an ad one time in a newspaper and he gets paid a little bit extra money. I or would think maybe we'll set him up for a $375 million Fox broadcasting deal when his career is over. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Maybe that'll That's happen. Nuts. <laughs> That's crazy. Are you going to tune into a game because Tom Brady's broadcasting a game? No. No, but but all those guys. I mean, you think about what Tony Romo made. Everybody uh, these days is making a pretty penny. That to market is insane because is. we watch football because of the teams that are playing. Nobody watches football, and if I'm watching a game and I don't like the announcer, I'm not turning it off. If I care about the game, I might turn it down. But you're still making your ad revenue. These color commentators, the money they get, that market has never going to correct itself, and it is out of control. That's nuts. 
Yeah, the only network I'd say did a good job with that was ESPN because Monday Night Football has been really bad for a really yeah. long time. So they, they needed to spend their way out of it. Also, they're getting Super Bowls out of the deal with ABC right. is that to be in the Super Bowl rotation. But you're right. Like, I mean, I don't I don't think Brady's going to be very good at it. I, I, no. Drew is not very good at it. But these guys are getting sight unseen, uh, talent untried, huge sums of money just for their name. Like, as though their brand is going to bring more people. I, I don't know of any, even the women demographic. You're like, all right, Tom Brady's a really good-looking guy. I don't know that anybody's going to be like, we have you to go to the You don't see him. He's not on the field broadcasting the game. You right. just hear his voice. Right. We, we get the secondary level 425 kickoff. We got to go to the bar to watch America's Game of the Week because Brady's on the broadcast. So that just right. doesn't it's, happen. Not, it's not happening. It's crazy how they spend their money. They could have spent that $375 million. They could have given it to the ACC, and we'd have a fighting chance in this thing, Jeff. Really quickly, I wanted to read Mark, who contributed to what we do here on Seminole Headlines and War Chant TV, and he wrote, Corey, did you get your NIL deal with the new Wawa store in Tally? Great show, guys. Appreciate it. That, uh, thank you, Mark. We appreciate you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your contribution, as always. Mark, you're the, you're the best, and I'll tell you this. When Wawa comes, we are going to give him – you know how Aslan always makes fun of me because I talk about Corner Pocket more now than I ever did our other sponsors on that show mm-hmm. because I'm there all the time. If, if we get Wawa as a sponsor, I will be doing shows from Wawa. And all I will do is trash Circle K. That will be my whole show is trash the other, uh, the other gas station in, in our fair city. Because Wawa, guys, you, you, if you haven't seen one yet, you are going to be amazed at what gas station life is like outside of the city of Tallahassee. It's I unbelievable. It's a new day. I think people run across a Wawa in their time. And if not, perhaps a busy bee or, or a- sheets. Or a Bucky's or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they've been. Well, yeah. so you're going to appreciate it. Is it about the food there, or is it just about the cleanliness? No, it's he's scared to death of gas stations, Tom. It's no, about no, no. the lights. Uh, the Tallahassee afraid, gas stations. Yeah, he's uh, afraid a, of a dark gas station. He they're thinks death traps. It's well lit, Tom. I'm glad you asked. They're well lit. The food is fine. They're clean. They're uh, they're welcoming. They're like, hey, come in here at 9.30 at night and fill up. Not run, run for your lives like the ones in Tallahassee are. I've never been scared of that gas station. Just want well, that to be Those are going to be your famous last words. Seminole Headlines, <laughs> 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. We continue in a moment. Seminole Headlines is brought to you by Register Sausage, serving the Florida Panhandle and Lower Alabama for over 75 years. To find a store near you or to buy directly from Registers, head to registermeats.com. That's registermeats.com. Seminal Headlines returns now. Head to YouTube and search for War Chant TV today to catch the show live or on demand. Now, here's Jeff Cameron, Ira Chauffel, and Corey Seminal Headlines, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Welcome back. There's Corey, there's Tom, and I am Jeff. You are you, and you're listening to us. We appreciate that. By the way, if you're watching on War Chant TV, make sure you like and subscribe, pass it around, all that good stuff. We started a, looks like in the chat, we've started a gas station war. There you go, Corey. Corey's muted, by the way. Corey, you got to unmute yourself. Corey muted himself. I'm there an idiot. I'm an idiot. Hey, guys, 2022, I'm still figuring all this stuff out. Um, I'd like to apologize for the way I look. Uh, usually I could this. So I have to use this, the, the microphone, the one that looks like a, something from a sci-fi movie, because it is a podcast still, and I want to sound good for the podcast listeners. But by doing so, I wasn't able to use the camera that Gene got me because I only have two ports. For the uh, for my face, so I'm all blurry and gross looking. So I apologize for the way I look, but you know we can't have everything, gang. We can't have everything. I, don't I think figured everybody the way I sounded. decided to tune in today. They're like, I'm hoping Corey looks good. Well, oh, right, man, like the Tom Brady a, argument. This is a bitter disappointment. 
I, I don't know about the content now. Uh, what I what I what I was going to say, by the way, is I do think all jokes aside, I'm kind of curious. You know how, and I think Corey, you probably have thought of this. I know Tom, you and I have on the show. Like th- there's a tendency to overreact to things, especially things that adversely affect uh, this conference or for Florida State's purposes, especially while we're down. I, I do think there's going to be sort of a leveling out period where we're not always going to be stuck in this purgatory. I, I think Florida State's going to be all right. I want to say that because I think more than anything, we see a lot of people in the chat or on Facebook with their questions or on Twitter each week or in the email inbox. And it's a sense that Florida State is never going to be good again. It's this this fatalism. Uh, I do think that it has been a healthy dose of reality. Florida State may never be the juggernaut, certainly, that they were, and they haven't been since you know the 14 consecutive years of top four finishes. No school has ever done that but Florida State. So that was the exception to the rule and outlier, and you're never going to see that again in all likelihood, not here or maybe anywhere else. But I would say that I think that for what we're playing for right now, it's not national titles, and I think that's been a hard thing for people to accept. Florida State is not in the running for a national title and won't be in the next two to three years. Uh, and under the current system, it would be hard for them to get back to that. I do think there will come a time where things will be adjusted, whatever the rules are that are come down that will help in this NIL situation or the inducements that we continue to talk about uh, shifting or the way that that's handled certainly changing. Um, but I also think that we're headed towards – basically two super conferences or some sort of mega television deal. And Florida State would be a part of any one of those kinds of deals. Florida State's played big boy football for a very long time. It has the kind of cachet and name brand um, that that would be part of any major type of league uh, if you, that we're talking about here. So would Clemson, probably Miami. I don't know if they still matter. But, I mean, all of those types of schools, I think, that have had the cachet over the last 40 to 50 years that Florida State has – would be a part of that. And I think that lifeline's coming. I don't think it's coming next year. I think it's coming down the line, and Florida State will once again matter, and they'll be playing with the big boys. In the interim, you're playing to try to win the Atlantic, get to a place where you can win the Atlantic, maybe win the conference. Um, and you can certainly be better than we've been because this has been a nightmare. Uh, but 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 you're not playing on the same playing field as Georgia and Alabama, that's for sure. You'd have to get lucky, right? Like you'd have to get um, – number one, the playoff has to expand. And when it expands to – 12 teams, whenever that is, or 16, or whatever they do, Florida State can get to a point where it's a playoff team. That's not asking a lot. You know, in fact, Michigan State was in the playoff a few years ago. Like, um, now I know the landscape's even changed, shifted since then, but Florida State, if it's a 12 team playoff, is definitely capable of getting to a playoff, uh, making a playoff push. They can go nine and three, 10 and two, and be a top 12 team in this country within the next three years if everything goes right. Um, but, can they win three or four? Will they have a roster to be able to compete three or four straight weeks with the Alabamas and Georgias? Probably not right now. But so the, the goal right now, go be a top 15 team and see what happens. Also, see what doors that opens up or kicks down, man. Like you've been so irrelevant here for most of these kids since they've been paying attention to college football, these recruits, they haven't known Florida State to be great. They know who Jalen Ramsey and Derwin James are and Jameis Winston are, but they were young. They were in elementary school or middle school when that stuff was happening. So just go be great, go be good, and then maybe that opens the door to the great players again. Yeah, I agree. I mean, when you see what Norvell was able to do last year, brought this up on on the wake-up hit, Corey, that 
you know, you go five and seven, and yet even with a national signing day disappointment in December, you're you're signing a consensus top twenty class with what? Like with what ammunition other than Florida State itself? Because you don't have a ton of coaches who have ties to the footprint that you are recruiting. You're going five and seven on the heels of a three win COVID season, and still you're good enough to sign a top twenty class. So what happens if you're armed with the ammunition of eight wins? or nine in the regular season, and maybe nine or ten with the bowl game added on at the end of the year. If you put yourself in that position, and you've already recruited a consensus top 20 class in the state of Florida with those uh, you know, uh, those weights around your neck, then what would it become if you actually win some football games and look competitive in 11 of the 12 games that you play? How compelling would your pitch be at that point? So Ryan brings up in the chat, he asked me specifically, do we anymore though, Jeff? We haven't been good since high school kids were eight years old. Yeah, well, that's not unlike the situation we found ourselves in after the lost decade. I mean, Florida State had done nothing towards the back end of Bobby's years, last year's. Uh, Certainly I had been on the radio at that time, much to the chagrin of many, uh, saying that you can't, just because you built it doesn't mean you can burn it down. And we were having these kinds of heated discussions every day as Florida State uh, ventured further and further into a, a world of irrelevance. Uh, but but I was talking about the brand and the cachet and, and how it's instantly recognizable. And at some point, if you get the right guy pushing the right buttons and once again tap in to the wonderful resources that you have, which has to do with regionality of recruits, right, that you can still win and win big. You can still get bigger, stronger, faster. There's such a surplus of athlete in the South that you could do that. And lo and behold, it happened. Uh, Jimbo Fisher came in, modernized what they were doing, uh, primarily in recruiting. Yes, the practices shifted. There were some other things that changed, but the way they practiced and the focus on the types of athletes and projecting forward what they could be uh, allowed for Florida State in rather short period of time to win and win big and then go undefeated and win a national championship and then make the first ever college football playoff, et cetera. Uh, History has shown that Florida State can win and win big if they're operating at peak efficiency. The thing that's most fearful for us now, I think, is that even operating at peak efficiency, because Florida State is a younger university relative to the Notre Dame's, Michigan's, Ohio State's, Alabama's, Georgia's of the world, if you will, that they're never going to have the kind of money in order to compete if this becomes a money game. That part is true, but they can certainly do better than five and seven, and they can certainly find a way to compete for and win some Atlantic titles here and there and get into the conference championship game, which also changes revenue streams, which also changes your ability to compete long term. Let's focus for now on getting back to that place, and getting back to that place is only asking you to win eight, nine games. It's, and you're competing. You're not competing against Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State, and Texas in that in that framework. You're competing Texas against Wake Forest with anybody. <laughs> well, well, you're correct, but you're competing against Wake Forest, NC State, uh, Syracuse, and I, right. I promise you, you got more money coming into your football program than those schools do. There's no excuse to keep losing to Wake Forest, none. Um, but it, you can't blame it on resources anyway, or lack of money, because they're doing it with a lot less than you're doing it with. So, um, in that regard, the goal—it's it, just for right now, for this window. Hopefully, it's a window. The goal shifts from national title implications for Florida State fans to, like you said. Compete for an Atlantic Division title. I know that hurts. I know you guys didn't grow up uh, watching Florida State football and just hoping to have a chance to win the Atlantic Division. I'm sure you were like me and didn't even know who was in the Atlantic Division for a lot of those years in the 90s because it didn't matter. But now uh, it does matter. Well, I guess there weren't divisions back when it was in the 90s. You guys understand. But uh, but now just just shift who you're just shift the focus. If you can if you can compete for ACC Atlantic titles, that begets maybe competing for ACC titles, and that begets 
competing for national titles. But first things first, take care of your own house and beat the programs you're supposed to beat. And I think Mike Norvell can do that. I think he can get to this pro program to a place where it's an eight or nine win program. The question I still have, well, I have two. Will this offense ever get going? Um, this is a very important year for him. But that, but, um, but also, can he recruit at a level to get them back to a national championship caliber? Like Jimbo did it immediately. And I know the, the landscape was different in 2010 than it is in 22. But so far, Norvell has done an, a decent job recruiting. But he's not going to win Florida State fans over with top 20 recruiting classes because they saw Jimbo come in and in two years get a number six class and a number one class. And Norvell so far hasn't been anywhere close to that. Can he get anywhere close to that and start bringing in five-star guys? Not, not with five-win seasons, certainly. And, right, what Jimbo, and, what, and what Jimbo did, and I'm glad you noted this, but I want to reiterate this, those circumstances were very different. You know yeah. that, Corey. He was already on the team in terms of a coach, on the coaching staff, seeing what needed to change. Also, recruiting was very different. Uh, there, there are a lot of factors there. He also wasn't doing so on the heels of back-to-back uh, -back coach. You, know, you get the point. Yeah. Um, so, so being a third coach in four years made that a but little. But you got to start bringing in the players, right? You got to start bringing in some five star. If you're going to get to where you want to go eventually, you can't recruit at the Memphis level. And I know he's done better than he was recruiting in Memphis, but th this isn't a fan base that's used to three star rosters, three and a half star rosters. That, that you've got to start getting uh, just the Az Thomases of the world, more of those guys. Well, I want to touch on something else here that folks brought up in the chat that I think is interesting. We'll do it in a moment here. It's Seminole Headlines, 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. Hey, headliners and elite headliners. It's Ira here, and it's time to talk Shopify. As you remember, a couple of years ago, we wanted to create and sell headlines merch for the best podcast listeners in the world. That's you. But we had no idea where to get started. Now we're selling Yay Sausage shirts, and it's so easy. All because we use Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're a startup working out of your man cave or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool you need to grow your business without all the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. You could be selling Don Julio socks from Shopify's in-person point of sale system or offering headliner shirts from Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform. Whatever you need, you're covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love most about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up today for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash warchant, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash warchant, all lowercase, and they'll help you grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Go to shopify.com slash warchant. Seminal Headlines returns now. Head to YouTube and search for Warchant TV today to catch the show live or on demand. Now, here's Jeff Cameron, Ira Chofel, and Corey Clark. So going back to uh, taking a look here at some of the things that were brought up in the chat while we were talking, and we'll get to headliner questions next hour. I don't think there are a ton, uh, but Corey, I did see you stepped up to the table on Facebook there. That was good. I, I tried, buddy. I tried. I Ira didn't, Ira didn't uh, ask for questions on Twitter. That's he, weird. He did not. When he's not a part of the show, it just doesn't exist. <laughs> I see how it is. 
Um, all right. So, so getting back to, to this, uh, we were talking about opportunities to, to be realistic, I guess, and compete for something that could beget something much better. And we were talking about maybe trying to, you know, just win the Atlantic. How about going over 500? How about we do that? There you go. That's the first uh, step. Yeah. First step. Just let's have a better than 500 record. But a couple people pointed out on the chat, I tend to agree with them. Isn't there a sense that Clemson is on the verge of a decline? I think there is. I think you see that, right? The loss yeah. of coaches. You watch that middling season for them with that loaded roster that they had a season ago. Florida State had no business being on the road with a chance to win that football game. They're a player two away from actually winning that football game. Um, so I guess, you know, the Atlantic is open, guys. I mean, yeah. if, if not them, it ought to be us. It's not why not us. It ought to be Florida State University. And if you're steady behind – Wake or Louisville and teams of that ilk, then you really can't afford to sit around complaining and wondering when you're going to play for a national title because you're not even middling in the ACC. Uh, so right now, I think it's easy for the fan base, myself included, and everybody involved with Florida State who cares in any way that they play well, that you, your focus should be on beating the teams that you need to beat in the ACC, which is almost all of them, just about on a regular basis. If you're anywhere close to being uh, a power that you once were, you'll beat all of those teams. And we haven't done that in a while. Yeah, the point with Clemson is a salient one. It just sounds like there's a lot of noise in the system. And and we remember what that was like, and especially you, Jeff. You were onto it in 2016 uh, before the Louisville game. And you just had this. I remember talking between segments of a few shows. You're like, Something, something's up. I felt that, like it was off, yeah. Whatever that spuddy sense was, I mean, the way Dabo's quoted in an article every week, it seems, and you're like, man something's wrong behind the scenes. He's complaining about the portal. He's complaining about the way college football is, or he says, I'm never going into the portal. My answers are right there in that locker room. It would be unfair to those kids. Like he just says a bunch of things that you're, you're thinking, is he really happy there? Or is he just trying to make trouble on the way out? The question is, have they uh, replaced DJ? If they've got a better quarterback in there, then they'll cover up a lot of those issues. The hard part in the Atlantic too, for FSU is you've got three teams who are ranked in a lot of people's preseason polls. NC State in some polls in the top 10, Clemson right there in the top dozen, and then Wake Forest as well. So if you finished in second place in the Atlantic this year, it's not far-fetched to believe, Corey, as you said last segment, that FSU is in the top 15 or top 18 in the rankings of the country. And boy, would this be a different show with you three guys uh, on a Tuesday if Florida State was ever finished in, uh, finishing in the polls in the top 20. Man, think about that, Jeff. Think about that statement and where we were with this show just – seven years ago Jeff's like if and I agreed with him kind of he's like Jimbo can't just keep straight going nine and three every year we'll oh. run him out of town yes and uh and now here we are just hoping to be a top 20 program again or top we're a top we're a number one show but we want to be for a, a number you know at least a top 10 program or a top 20 program but yeah it's just crazy how far this thing's fallen um I will say this about Clemson you 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 know unless we think Dabo is Nick Saban you can't keep losing a great, great assistant coaches and just keep the the plane going at 33,000 feet. I mean, there's going to be a dip um, unless you're Nick Saban. Um, and I don't think Dabo is Nick Saban. So at some point, something is going to matter. And let, I could be wrong. I mean, if he gets this thing back and they're top 10 for the next three or four years after losing Venables um, and losing the OC that he lost, um, and the fact that they had a run of Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence six out of seven years, and both those guys were great as freshmen. That was an unprecedented run of quarterback play. If he can get this back anywhere close to what it was during that stretch, then, yeah, he is an all-time great coach. He's one of the best that's ever done it. I don't trust that he can, though. 
I don't think he's got the Nick Saban DNA, and I don't think he makes the same hires that Nick Saban does. Well, because you saw he was this close to losing his job before taking yeah. a pay cut and giving out huge amounts of money to assistants to come save right. the day, which they did. And I give him a ton of credit for that, by the way. At the time, I kind of laughed and said, well, we know what that's about. But he did what he needed to do in order to win, and that's very good leadership. That's understanding what you don't understand, right, and bringing yeah. in people who do. But, hey, it's not just that he's lost, say, Tony Elliott. He's, you know, he, he's lost two offensive minds. He's lost a wicked bright defensive mind, some say the best in the country. That is a lot to lose, and he's done so, as Tom points out, while steady complaining about everything around him. Yeah. And and so you do get the sense that something is very off there. Now they still have that lost roster is still loaded. And you're right, if they get a modicum of decent play at quarterback, well, hell, even last year with bad quarterback play, they won ten games. Yeah. Lest we forget they weren't bad last year. They went ten and three. <laughs> if they had just had decent quarterback play, they might have gone twelve and one, eleven and one, you know, one during the regular season. So they're not far from being good, but I do sense that it's starting to open up a little bit is my only point. And if you're looking for things to grab onto as a measure of hope, it's that Clemson's not the juggernaut that they were. The Atlantic is opening up for Florida State to compete in. This should be Norvell's best season yet. And that's why when we talk about this being a pressure-packed year, it resoundingly I say absolutely it is because now there's a little crack in the door. And you've right. got to hit it. You've got to find a way into that room and make something of yourself so that you have a chance moving forward to get the kinds of recruits that we keep talking about that could flip the program and maybe let them you know, compete for and win an ACC championship. Um, they're, they're a ways away, but you know it's frustrating. Uh, but this is a chance this year to do something about it. It's going to be a hard road, though, because, again, we see with the, with the ranked teams that they play and the veteran quarterbacks. Hour number two, forthcoming. I think I hear the music. Maybe I'm wrong on that. If not, play the music. <laughs> We'll get the headliner questions in a moment.